0: Began in Washington State. That is, that's where I was living. That's where I grew up as a kid, and that's where I grew up as a young man. And and those kinds of uh, images, impulses, and behaviors, which ultimately led to the violent behavior, you know, occurred, if you will, in Washington State.
1: My name is Sherry Wilson. This is Outline of a Murder, the Smart True Crime Podcast. I'm Elena. And I'm Mom. All right. So when we decided to do this podcast, which we told a little bit of the story at the very first um, episode, I had one condition. I had to have Ted Bundy in our first series, or our first season. And everybody was in agreement. And uh, because... To me, he is the most fascinating serial killer out there. And I, well, until Israel Keys. And I think it's because of how normal he seemed. Mm -hmm. I think that's what makes him scary. I think that's what makes him fascinating. And looked. And he was good looking. Yes. I mean, Mm -hmm. you think, when you think of a killer, you think of a monster. And he was not. And, uh,. (laughs) So, um, when I watched this series, uh, which a lot of what we're talking about today will be from, as well as the book, so the series name was Ted Bundy Falling for a Killer. And the book is The Phantom Prince. And it's from his long term girlfriend, Elizabeth. It's her perspective of what it was like dating this man, uh, which some believe he started killing while they were dating. I personally believe he had killed before. But Mark Pinsky was a journalist that had interviewed uh, Bundy when um, he was, I think it was when he was maybe in Utah or Colorado. I can't remember. But he said that when he met him, he was sitting at a table or a desk in his jail cell listening to classical music. He was charming and soft-spoken. And suddenly... This terrifying thought came to Mark. He said, the more we talked, the more normal he seemed to be. And he felt that if Bundy was capable of doing what he did, he had to face the notion that maybe he was too. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> because of how normal he seems. Because like, you see
0: there's something, something you can...
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine, like, if you know the background of this killer which everybody knows, Ted Bundy's, everybody knows who Ted Bundy is, if if you know how he killed, I mean, it was awful, the things he did to these ladies, and then you see him and he seems that normal, I think it would be freaky. I, I think it'd be like, well, if he could do it, wouldn't anybody be able to do what he did? So, uh, which is uh, obviously not true, but I could see how this journalist... Yeah. his mind, yeah.
2: I don't see that. Oh, I don't. You, you think don't that. No, he's completely normal. I wouldn't compare myself or think I had the capacity to
1: do that. It wouldn't even cross well, my mind. Well, and I think maybe part of what occurred is there might have been a strong rapport that was built right off the bat. You know, we've talked about that, where mirroring common interests and what I'm thinking may have happened to Mark. You know, because we're kind of just diving right in to prove how normal he seemed to people before we get to the actual story and that is that probably Mark listened to classical music seeing him at a desk Mm. working on his case you know and Ted Bundy was a manipulator
0: he could make you feel any way any way he wanted you right
1: so I, I just thought that was interesting um how scared that made him think and like I've alluded to the entire time we've been recording is um it The only other killer that's gotten my attention, like Ted Bundy, is Israel Keys. He's very intriguing. We're going to finish the season off with him. Same thing. He seemed very, very normal. And and so I think the notion that killers look like monsters needs to be gotten rid of. Yeah. You know, of course you have those that didn't have social skills like um, the cannibal up in... Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, But then you have, you know, the Green River Killer that was free for... Decades, BTK, he was a deacon in his Baptist church. Right. Uh, I remember Clovis, a guy that killed uh, a worker that she worked at a barbecue place, and he posed the body. Uh, Later, come to find out, he was addicted to snuff films and pornography. Grew up with one of my best friends there, and he was a dentist. No one would have ever known. And I think the way he posed the body and the victim he picked that was similar to the the ladies he liked in the porn shows uh, i think he was a budding serial killer mm-hmm. i think he would have done oh yeah kid. and uh it was even on paula zahn's on the case
0: really mm-hmm.
1: yeah so uh normal normal does not mean people are normal no could be <laughs> so but not
0: all dentists you know
1: are serial killers <laughs> yeah. yes and you know we've we've talked about how to be safe you know and how to watch red flags mm-hmm um so here with elizabeth again i think she's an s personality and um she was addicted she was addicted to ted bundy and it was he he got a hook in her and and we're going to break that down
0: was that her first boyfriend or someone she met
1: probably later? since she was married because she had a <laughs> high school sweetheart and then they ended up divorcing and i think yeah, I think after being married, and she grew up in a sheltered life, which we're going to get into, but um, he just knew all the right things to say. But I think that he would have killed her that night, but for some reason he didn't. Right. And I can't, we can't ask him because, you yeah, right. he's been fried. Um, so, how can a person be safe from predators like this? Why do some get hooked and almost addicted and unable to leave, and what in them makes them susceptible that's why i want to break down in these next um episodes i'm not sure you can be safe i think to a degree degree you can like with with deborah with dirty john trusting the red flags right um and then just being aware and knowing that you may be one of those sweethearts that believes everybody you know so stop right (laughs) Stop doing that. (laughs) Okay. So our focus is actually going to be on Elizabeth Kendall, a long-term girlfriend of Bundy during the years that he was actively killing. We will discuss his crimes more in depth in the after show combo. But of all we've studied this season, Elizabeth and then Deborah from Dirty John are the most intriguing because of how hard it was for them to get away from these men. And uh, even though they knew or they suspected them of crimes... They're also both uh, examples that your background, financial status, intelligence, or anything else that you think might make you immune won't. Deborah was successful, wealthy businesswoman. Elizabeth was a single mom. So it's almost like psychopaths have an inherent ability to find those areas that will hook you and keep feeding you their drug. So I don't want to start with Bundy's killings. I want to start with Elizabeth and give you some background. So Elizabeth was raised in a typical home. Her dad was a respected doctor in Ogden, Utah. I've been there. Um, And then her mother was a nurse until their first child came, and then she was a stay-at-home mom. So Ogden is about 30 miles from Salt Lake City where the Mormon temple is. I've been there, have y'all been to Salt Lake City? No. It's gorgeous, and it's one of the cleanest cities I've ever seen in my life. It's this huge city that is spotless. Um, I do remember when I was there once, because I went up there by myself for a Young Living con- convention, I remember um, walking down to Jason's Deli to get a salad, and the lady said, hey, it's starting to get dark, so you probably want to make sure you get back to your hotel before then, and I'm like, okay, why? And she said, because all the homeless come out at that time, and I was like, well, that doesn't mean they're criminals, but the criminal element is there, and they will harass you if not you know, criminal activity does increase in a certain wow. part of town. Yeah. Wow. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so um, now Mormonism is a big deal in Utah, but not really for them. So they were of the Mormon faith, but it wasn't like they were, you know, kind of like some Catholics that they're Catholic, but they don't go to church all the time and stuff. That's kind of how they were. They're yeah. not practicing. Very good. Yeah, practicing. So um, they were active in the church, but, you know, not that big of a deal and she wrote her book found prince they were considered jack mormons people who were more who were mormon in name only but that was funny and she did say that her and her mom prayed together when she was little and she knew the power of prayer but she also said that she knew that if you don't forget to be uh, grateful god will get you is she the only child no but that irritates me because that he's God is not out to get people. No. (laughs) And, um, but religion will put that in people's heads. It's like, if you don't do what he wants, he'll punish you. And of course, I don't have time to get into all of that, but it just gives you a background of her, her mentality of performance. You know, that if she did, these things right, then good things would happen to her. If she didn't, then bad things would happen. And the reason I bring that up is it creates this blame and this lack of value for yourself as a person. I've met a lot of people, though, believe that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that probably was a conditioning that didn't help her. And then in high school, she had a steady boyfriend named Ben. And he had a black MGA sports car that they rode in and washed and waxed (laughs) it all of the time. And they also went skiing a lot. And they both wanted to get married as soon as they had graduated and start having babies. So she wanted to be a mom right off the bat. And they even had a name picked out. If it was a boy, it would be Stein, the name of a popular ski racer at the time. But her parents wanted her to get her college education first. And she didn't care about that at all. She just wanted to be a wife, be a mom, and start having babies. But her parents won. She said, and she went off to college and went through sorority rush, but was dropped by the end of the week because she's too shy. So shy. Yeah. So just to set up her personality and just watching her on the show and reading her book, she was probably an introvert. And so I think that she was an SC personality which means that she was going to, you know, be people-focused. She's going to love people, be nurturing and accepting, but the C part of her would be more analogical and analytical and logical. Analogical. I like that. Mm-hmm. We might as well just make that a word. But those <laughs> two personality combinations <clears throat> do tend to be introverted, but people make a mistake on thinking that introverts are shy. Some are, uh, but an introvert simply needs time alone. So, like, for me, I... Am an introvert, and then I that I have to get away from people. I have to have I get energized by alone time, but my D part of my personality I can be very assertive and confident, and no one has any idea how nervous I am. For the SC personality, she might have been what's called an anxious introvert, where social you know situations made her very nervous, and that will be important because. She really struggled with her shyness unless she drank. Oh, yeah. So, um, and, or if she was around people she knew, like Ben and her friends, she could be very talkative and fun, but um, make others laugh. But with strangers, she would shut down and have a rough time. And she couldn't think of anything to say, right? You know, like, my specialty is training introverts on how to be confident. You know, that's what my course is about. So, um. And she said that afterwards, you know, like, she was afraid she'd say something stupid. And then she would relive and rethink the conversations she had and how she came off for months. So she obviously had
2: a self-esteem issue, a huge one.
1: Yeah. And I, uh, one of our family friends is actually what I would term an anxious introvert. There's, like, four types. I'm a social introvert. Um... I think Elizabeth was probably an anxious introvert and she said that when she realized that there was nothing wrong with her and and that that's just how she was designed and that there were tools to help her in situations like Elizabeth found herself in, it helped her so much. And uh, and so I don't know. I have a soft, you know, place in my heart for introverts because I think they really struggle. Where you're actually an extrovert, you don't have any problem starting conversations and talking to people, right? No, I don't. And you sometimes, love being
0: sometimes I people. wish. Yeah, I love being around people.
1: Mm-hmm. The more, yeah, I the merrier. Have to disconnect and recharge. And that's an, that's a true extrovert gets energy from social interaction and being with people. That's me. Wow. I know. (laughs) We're obviously not that. So, um, but the one thing that did help her come out of her shell was alcohol. So she began to party a lot. Her grades went down. She was suspended at the end of her freshman year. (laughs) Oh, no. And she broke up with Ben. Oh. Oh. I know. It's sad. And we don't really know why, because Bundy literally stole decades from her and uh so it's really sad like marry ben marry ben you know when i was reading the book <laughs> but she didn't and so they were attracted to each other physically they had made you know a commitment to abstain until they got married well in the spring of her first year of college she lost her virginity and she couldn't tell ben so she just broke up with them oh okay and so she eventually married a man, the man that she lost her virginity to, but the marriage ended, but she did end up having a young daughter named Molly. Um, and this is um, her in the picture right here Aww, when she was really cute. little. Oh, and, uh, cute. And so she felt like she needed a fresh start, you know. I mean, obviously she had, she grew up in a religious upbringing, but not too bad. You know, they were Jack Mormons. Um, but she's got this, you know, relationship with Ben and she's basically, probably in her mind, soiled. Yeah. There's no way she can marry them. So, um, she picked Seattle as a place to move to. Yeah. And it was a re- recommendation from some guys she really didn't know. And so she's like, sure, that sounds like a good idea. So you can already see how things are setting her up for Bundy. And she's drinking a lot, she was shy, she's already been married and you know divorced, and she has a young child, and now she's a single mom that really hits on your self-esteem oh yeah yeah just failure you know that's how it would be interpreted and it's and it's not it's poor choices yes but failure is so final you know and I you know I remember it took me years to recognize failure as feedback so if I am making poor choices that lead to things you know, occurring that I don't like, then I can sit down and say, okay, what's this mm-hmm. telling me? And learn from that experience instead of, you know, continuing to make the wrong decisions. But a lot of people don't know that. Now she really loved Seattle. So she found her own place to live. She found a good job. Money was usually tight being a single mom, but it was a great job. And then here's where normal life can suddenly put you in the path of a psychopath. So Elizabeth had gotten a parking ticket and she was very upset about, about it that day. So her friend Angie, um, you know, was like her go to person. And so she was at her house crying about her parking or ticket. Her ticket. Well, I mean, you know, she's a single right. mom, you know. So I remember those days. And one of the roommate's boyfriends came in and said she needed a night out. And she's like, All right. So by nightfall, they had organized a party to celebrate her parking ticket. (laughs) (laughs) And it was at the Sandpiper Tavern that she saw a handsome, tall, sandy-haired man that asked her to dance. So I can just imagine, you know, she's... Stress because of a parking ticket she's already drank some mm-hmm. her life has been jacked up until now and here this handsome man asked her to dance yeah and i mean not to say she's not pretty but when you compare her to some of his other girlfriends she right. is more plain mm-hmm. and so i'm not saying this played a factor but I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going back to when I was 11 years old and we had a dance to celebrate going into junior high. And I had a crush on, a, uh, two guys. Um, one was named stormy. One was named Gilbert Gonzalez. I still remember his name and we had actually become really good friends in class. And he was like, they were both the popular kids, but he, for some reason we were like fast friends. And his group of friends gave him such a rough time for being friends with me. Why are you friends with her? She's not one of us, because I wasn't rich, I wasn't beautiful like these other people, but we were just buddies. Well anyway, at the dance, I worked up the courage to ask Stormy to dance. And he said no. And I'm like, all right. So I go back over, you know, and I'm like, man, I want to get out of here. You know, I'm so excited. And uh, Gilbert saw it and came up and asked me to dance. And he taught me how to slow dance. (laughs) Yep. And that made my night. never saw him again, but he made me feel valuable and special. I wonder if that's how she felt. Yeah.
0: That's good for an 11-year-old to do something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was very nice. So, I, I don't know. I don't know if that was the case, but I think that if I, you know, was in that position and someone handsome walks up, I'd be like, oh, share Yeah, show, show her interest. Yeah. So, at this point, she's already had a few beers or drinks, and um, her shyness is gone. Okay. Right. So, right. for the rest of the evening, they both danced with other people, but there was definitely uh, chemistry between them. He did not ask her to dance again, though. Now, later she noticed him sitting by himself at a table looking sad, so they started talking, and she was embarrassed to say that she was a secretary, so she lied and said that she made heart valves in the instrument department at the university.
0: That's a a leap. Yeah. (laughs) Secretary. Right. Where did that
1: come from? I have no idea. And so by the end of the night, he knew why she had moved from Utah, that she had briefly been married, that she had a daughter, and how she felt out of place in Utah as a single mother. Out of place, single How mother. old was she at this point? Well, um, she moved not long after her freshman year, so she's probably still if even 20. 20. So she's, she's young. Around there, yeah. But I say that to point out, he basically knew her entire life history, and he's a complete stranger. Yeah, especially that... Um, um, yeah and so at this point they don't think he's killed again I do Um, so it's kind of like okay and he actually admitted admitted later to trying to kill her twice so this is in uh, I think 69 or 70 he, he first started killing supposedly in 74 and how old was he when he met her I don't know for sure because he always lied at his age, about his age, um, and he always went to university even though he should have been graduated by then, but he was young.
0: He does look older than her. Yeah,
1: I think he was definitely older, but he always lied about his age. So, she was impressed with his nice clothes and the way he carried himself. It was easy to talk to him, and he had a British accent, so you'll want to keep that in mind. And he said his name was Ted Bundy. She said, I was already planning the wedding and naming the kids.
2: Oh, my word wow
1: the very first interaction
2: that's a huge leap
1: yeah be careful (laughs) yeah yeah so again it's i remember the powerful emotion of dancing with gilbert when he asked me you know what i mean and so even though we never saw each other again that's still a fond memory So I can imagine with her background and what she's been through and she's always wanted children and the white picket fence with the two and a half kids and the dog, you know, in the front yard. I mean, she's like planning it out, meeting this strange man for the first time. So please don't give your entire life history to strangers in bars or anywhere else. Especially your vulnerability. Vulnerability.
2: Yes. Isolation. Yeah. Personality. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: It's interesting he chose her, though. Out of all those people.
1: And she does have the long hair that he liked. Yeah. Yeah. So, Elizabeth invited Ted to go have coffee with her and her friends, but they couldn't find the cafe, and they decided to go home. At this point, Elizabeth is very drunk. So, Ted drove her to the babysitters in her car to pick up Molly He then scooped Molly and put her in the car. Um, She then drove. Hello? (laughs) And Ted held Molly on his lap. They had a park two blocks away, and Ted carried Molly all the way to her apartment. So at this point, Elizabeth is feeling very sick. So not only does she tell her life story, now he knows where she lives. Well, and... That's your
2: child, right? That you met a few <laughs> hours
1: ago. But to to just be an advocate a little bit, this is the '60s and '70s, right? We're back, It's you're now entering into the golden age of the serial killer. That's that the '70s and '80s was. That's what they literally called it in law enforcement. And the reason it was so easy for serial killers back then is hitchhiking. Everybody hitchhiked. I did. Yeah. Unlocked doors. Unlocked doors. Everybody knew everybody, trusted everybody. So yeah. it you didn't really think in the terms of this person could be a killer. Never did. Back then. So just and plus she was raised in a very wholesome environment. So I just think that you know, I personally wouldn't do that, but we were raised in the 80s when serial killers were around, and the 90s, and you know now where it's like, yeah, I wouldn't trust anybody with my son. Right. So, you know, just a, a little bit of an advocate there, I guess, but she was feeling sick from all the drinking. She told Ted that she, that she could drive home, him home, so she invited him to stay the night. <laughs> Very nice girl. Yeah. Please so, don't do that. Yes, please don't. So she fell into the bed, and Ted still dressed laid down next to her, and she slept fitfully throughout the night. She remembers that Ted would get up and walk around the apartment part of the night, and then she saw him one time standing next to her dress next to her uh, dressing uh, table, uh, looking around. So he's definitely figuring out who she is. He's snooping. That would scare me, just standing there looking around. Yeah. You wake up to that. But she's partly drunk, and she's probably in and out. Right. So she woke up at 7 the next morning to the sound of Ted moving around the kitchen. He came out with a cup of coffee, and she felt physically awful but also ashamed. And she never brought a man home from a bar and so she was definitely embarrassed, probably. And so she showered. She joined him at the table trying to figure out how on earth to explain his presence to her daughter Molly when da- Molly woke up. So, you know, and then without the alcohol, she's now back into her shy realm. Right. Well, and she's probably beating herself up. I think you had
2: mentioned that she would analyze what she said, uh, what she did for months.
1: Yeah. So, does she, number one, is she wondering what she said? And then as she remembered the part she did say, you know, so the whole thing is just weird. And so her and her daughter had plans that day and Ted hinted that he wanted to go and hang out, but she ignored him. And then she dropped him off at his apartment. That's interesting. Well, she was humiliated. It wasn't that she didn't want him to. She was just humiliated and she wanted to get him out of there because she was so embarrassed. Hmm. So they decided, though, to have dinner together that night, and they went shopping at a classy supermarket that she'd never been before. So here she is, a small town girl, you know, Mormon faith, a single mom, limited means, and he takes her to a classy supermarket. Her little store by her house was grimy and definitely not at this level. He chose the wine, the steaks, the loaf of French bread, and the salad greens. And then they picked up Molly, and he cooked the meal, which impressed her. He was also charming with little Molly, who kept wanting his attention. And um, so he read her one of her favorite books, Teddy Bear of Bumpkin Hollow. He kissed her goodnight after they finished the wine off, and they decided to spend the weekend together in Vancouver. Each episode, we like to give helpful resources for those of you that might be in abusive relationships and you need to find a way out. Uh, Even though Ted Bundy was never in the military, I wanted to share a resource for those of you that are. Uh, One is called MilitaryOneSource.mil and this is a great website to help you get help if you are in the military or married to someone in the military. They also have a really quick safety alert where you can click exit site and it will take you to a weather uh, website. The other one is called womenslaw.org. It's also for those that are suffering domestic violence in the military. So we've got all of these resources on our website. If you are in trouble or you're trying to find a way uh, to get out, please visit outlineofamurder.com and look at some of those resources and get some help. So here's the next phase of the hook, and that is it's sunk deeper in that, okay, number one, she's at a bar, she's got off her pass, and this handsome man asks her to dance. They get to talking. He was polite. He didn't push himself on her. He is now showing attention to her child, which will go straight to the heart of any mother. And then he has class. Mm -hmm. So for her, she probably feels like he's above her. You know, and he makes the decisions on this steak, the wine. Control again, too. She probably interpreted
2: it as care. Right. right. Well, a good guy. Yeah. Well, and back then, I think that it it was probably expected of men to do that as well, and right? And to take
1: charge. Yeah. To take That's charge true. and make those decisions. So, yeah. So, and then Vancouver. They're just going to drive over to Vancouver. I mean, I, I can just imagine what she felt like this guy is it. Like a princess. Yeah. Well, the Phantom Prince. Mm -hmm. So this began a year-long journey, um, years-long journey, uh, with one of the most notorious serial killers in America. So this right here is one of the pictures of them um, they would go like swimming a lot or to the lake and go rafting um, You can see his appearance here. And even though he was a small man, um, his build reminds me of my dad's. My dad is really uh, small, but he was very wiry and strong and so this is one when they um, first started dating because Molly's so little there and then this is another of him with Molly at uh, Christmas time. And we'll get into this picture later more, but you can tell she's laughing and he looks like he's having a good time. Um, this is another picture of him. So now he's got the, the longer hair. Um, they were on a trip together and I think even though he's making a silly face, he looks most handsome there, actually. It's funny. And then this is the, um, where things were starting to break down a little bit. But this is the most infamous picture. Him with the suspenders. You see that on the, the fireplace. Yeah.
0: magazines,
1: yeah. He had already started killing in both of these. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll leave one of those up. I don't really want to see his face too much, but... Um, Hold on. It'll keep he, us focused. He,
2: His arms and his hands are always... <clears throat> Grasping them.
1: Uh, yeah, I noticed that too. Mm-hmm.
2: Grasping? Yeah. Like um, um, hanging over them. Like almost every single, single picture, his arm was like... Like possession? Like, like this, though. It was turned towards her. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like a draping. Like, oh, around her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the hands were grasping their heads. Yeah.
1: And again, I mean, we'll never know, but I wonder if... If she was a victim, if that if he intended to start killing that night or kill again, um, because he was sad and he was acting weird, and when he would do her. that. Yeah, he would do that when he wanted to kill. It was almost like he would fight it off and fight it off, and then he'd get moody and he'd even cry, and then. Um, he would kill, and he'd be chipper, like nothing had ever happened. I so, agree
0: that he killed before.
1: I do, uh, yeah. There's and probably a lot more. can't prove it. Probably ever victims that they don't even know about. Yeah, but um, so it does. It makes me wonder if if she was going to be a victim, but something changed his mind. I don't know. Okay, so they they seemed like a pretty serious couple. Uh, they were sexually intimate. Um, she said that he was very satisfying in that respect. She met his parents, he met hers. She really wanted to get married, but he wasn't keen on the idea at first. Um, He finally agreed. And when they announced it to her parents, they were less than enthused. And we'll get into why later. But they liked Ted, but some things had occurred and they didn't think that was a, a good idea. But Elizabeth had already begun at this point in their serious relationship, suspecting him of being the killer.
0: Really, yeah,
1: and, and we'll get in depth into all of that, but And how much time was that? Thomas?: Well, they dated, so they started dating in 6970, and it was in 74 that the first killing occurred in her neighborhood.:
0: And she suspected it was him.
1: Not off right off the bat, but then later when a coworker said, "Could that be your Ted?" It triggered it so um and and again we're gonna dig in i just want to lay the groundwork so she she you know in probably four or five years in the relationship she's beginning to wonder and the relationship had started going downhill a little bit at this point too um she'd contacted the uh, police several times and they said we've already checked into him so you know it was crazy but one night, um, after you know, like these ladies are getting killed in her neighborhood, he moves to Utah. It's happening there. You know, she's like, "Okay, what's going on here?" And what fascinates me is, even though she loved him and was really addicted to him, it didn't blind her to the fact something's weird. And I admire her that she she stepped out and called the police. Yeah, he had the VW bug. His name was Ted, and there were some other things that made her suspicious, and they're like, oh yeah, we already checked him out. So he was cleared. He was cleared. And, but then, when they start, it starts happening in Utah, so she calls the Utah police, and they weren't nice. Isn't that unusual for a personality like her? Yes. To call? Yes. And... I, how the police treat her initially is so annoying. Now, on the other side, I could see like she's the girlfriend, they probably got in a fight, and she's wanting to, revenge. you know, but she didn't come off that way, and so it was really sad. And but at the same time, when you make those
2: calls, you're gonna hope they say no, yeah. And why, she would and,
1: do that, she'd be like, Well, I'm not sure, you know, right. and so she, and she wouldn't give her name, and that was irritating to them. So, um, but one night in a panic, she just called her dad. <laughs> And she's like, I think he's the killer. Wow. And, uh, you know, she was trying to get some assurance from him. I'm like, that's ridiculous. You know, we've known Ted for four or five years. There's no way he's the killer, you know. And, um, but he didn't have much to say. He just said, you need to be sure before you run a man's life. And that's all he would say. He, he <laughs> probably had doubts of something. Well, and Just then, when more. they say, we're going to get married, that's why they weren't enthused. Is he a killer or a good guy? Which well, I is wouldn't,
0: it? If you came to me and said, I'm gonna, I think someone's a killer, and then months later, I think I'm going to marry that, that guy.
2: Yeah. I but wouldn't would be, be happy. Would you be quiet? Would no,
0: I wouldn't be quiet.
2: Um,
1: I mean, that whole time? I don't know, because... Maybe they weren't quiet. I would probably be like the dad, like, well, we can't ruin his life. You know, I mean, you can't just say.
0: I would check more.
1: Yeah. So I'm sure you can imagine, you know, what, um, what was going on there. So they weren't happy with the announcement, and then later they called off the engagement. But at first, things are perfect. So he seemed to be all she was looking for in a husband and stepdad for Molly. Um, they could talk about anything. I mean, topics that she probably never discussed before, you know, art and travel and things like that. And then she felt that she could be herself. Now, this is what's irritating to me about the whole story, and it's this. Um, uh, He was a conservative. That irritates you? Yes, because I'm a conservative. (laughs) You know, I don't want, um, you know him to be a Republican? <laughs> he was a serial killer. So anyway, that was a little bit irritating. But um, even though he was a conservative, he did sympathize with some of the students that were protesting some stuff at the college um, and the university uh, back in the day of Vietnam. So he even worked on two Republican campaigns, Nelson Rockefeller in 1969, and then the reelection campaign of Washington Governor Dan Evans. Yeah. So, um, Elizabeth viewed him as sophisticated and intelligent, unlike herself. Uh, I cannot tell you how many S's feel that way. They, really? yeah, they don't feel like they're smart. They, they feel like everybody else is smarter than them, and they're super smart. But it's just how they see themselves and their perspective. That's why she probably thought she had the yeah won the lottery. And so this part here, I'm not sure. Um, what I would think about this. So he started helping her dress. So it's kind of like Dirty John, where he's like, you know, dress me, show me how to dress. Um in this case it's switch. And so he started helping her pick out a wardrobe that was more, you know, to where the circles he hung out in. I mean he's hanging out with governors and leaders and even in law enforcement. He would volunteer for different studies, which I think is how he figured out how to do some of the stuff he did. And um, so she's now, you know, coming to his level, quote-unquote, and she's liking it. But to me, I could see that, but I could also see it being a form of control. Yeah. Personally. So. But to her, she was part thinking. Well, and I just had this thought, you know, when he started killing, remember his first girlfriend, Susan, I think was her name. And she was what he wanted to be from a wealthy family, intelligent, uh, running in the same circles. He absolutely fell in love with her, and then she broke up with him because he lacked ambition and he wasn't what she was wanting in life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That sparked, I think, his killing. And so. Did she have long hair? Yes. And so then. What's interesting is that um, now you've got Elizabeth where he's the metropolitan, sophisticated person, and Mm -hmm. now he's going to feel good taking a country bumpkin, right, and making her what what he wants. Yeah. So. um, She probably felt lucky. She probably felt lucky. That is a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he encouraged her to dress better, opened her up to a world of culture that she'd never been a part of. Then at the re-election celebration for Evans, she said that she stuck by Ted's side, feeling stupid, boring, and ugly, and she finally slipped out to a tavern and got drunk. She and uh, Ted planned on going to the governor's inauguration ball, and she needed a dress, so they went to Northgate Mall, and she and Molly loved a red dress they found, but he felt it was too flashy. So he picked a conservative but pretty black knit dress. Suddenly, Ted shoved the dress box at her, took off running. He was chasing a purse snatcher and got him. And he told her that he cornered the criminal in a dead-end alley before thinking uh, he wasn't armed. And uh, she was awed by his bravery.
2: Now, was that verified? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, he did. And he also saved a little boy from drowning uh, at... um, uh, Green Lake, I think, up in Washington, and um, he also worked at a suicide hotline with Ann Rule. With Ann Rule, strange, yeah. he did all that, and he's well. A there's Killa. a thing called hot and cold empathy, and we'll discuss more of it if we want um, in the after show combo. But the the idea is that as a psychopath, the robbery, uh, the purse snatch, and then saving the little boy. There was no compassion or empathy like we would think of empathy. It wasn't warm empathy. It was a calculated decision because the crime did not serve a purpose, and it would make him look good. Ah, gotcha. Oh, yeah. It goes along with the image he was trying to project. And Ted Bundy. Yeah.
2: Aren't narcissists like that?
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's actually a way you can tell... Uh, For our listeners out there that maybe aren't the sweetheart S's, but they're D's and C's, there's a very easy way to tell if you are a psychopath. You don't even need a quiz. If anybody wants it, though, they can message me. But uh, it was in this book where I learned about hot and cold empathy, and they discussed Ted Bundy. And uh, because the little boy was two years old... He had wandered away from his parents. They were getting set up for their picnic and stuff by the lake, and they didn't notice, and he he fell into the water. And then Ted Bundy went in there, rescued him. He got, like, uh, accommodations for that as well as a purse snatch. And what's interesting is that um, they said that he operated, you know, obviously under the cold empathy, and then they said, you might have cold empathy as well. And so I'm like, oh, I wonder, you know, I'm a psychopath or not and I'll never forget the road I was driving on and it said okay so here's a scenario because we're almost done with part one here's a scenario you're driving down or or you're sorry I was driving down the road but there's a train coming and there's uh, where the tracks will V off okay on one track is one person that if you flip a switch the train will divert and only kill one person versus five people in a car stuck on the tracks. Would you pull the lever to switch it just to kill the one? And I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Me you know. too. Yeah. Save, you know. Would you? Save five. I try to come up with another option. <laughs> that, that's a C personality. See, C personalities always say that. Me, I'm like, absolutely. But then it gets further. So the further one is, okay, so it's the same scenario, except this time, you know, you've got like 15 people on this train. They're going to die. And you're on a bridge, and you see a man that's a large man, you know, overweight man, and you, uh, you, to save the 15, you'll throw him off the bridge in front of the train to save him. And uh, so I'm in my car driving. I'm like, absolutely. Me too. I mean, you have to throw them off the bridge because you got to save the 15. So right after, I'm like, sure. You know, the the author goes, if without hesitation you said you would have no problem throwing a human over the side of the bridge, you probably are a psychopath. And I'm all what? Well, me too, I guess. And so then I took the quiz. That's 3.5 out of 5. And... uh, I was like, wow. So my daughter's a psychopath. Yes, but it doesn't mean you're a killer. It doesn't there mean I'm a, a killer. There's functioning psychopaths and non-functioning psychopaths, but that's the the idea is that um, the empathy is cold, and so like I tell people when and we were talking about this yesterday, Elena, where it's like if i have not gone through something that someone else has gone through it's hard for me to feel that so i will acknowledge that's terrible but i feel nothing yeah right but if i've gone through it my heart will feel it and so you know like we were saying i mean top psychopaths are ceos surgeons clergy Mm. lawyers lawyers salespeople politicians yes they're the Mm -hmm. top Mm -hmm. ones and quite frankly it comes in real handy when i'm Mentoring people and trying to navigate them through extremely difficult circumstances. Because if my thinking's clouded by emotions, it makes it hard. It does. So, but not everything was perfect. Like I said, she really wanted to get married. He wasn't interested. She played. At first. Yeah, yeah. And I think he only said yes to get her off his back. Because he Mm -hmm. was doing all kinds of stuff behind her back, which we'll get into in part uh, two and three. Um, She played games, like going on dates with men. You know, and he'd cry. Uh, and they'd get back together. She'd pick fights with them. So it was like a continuous cycle. It was a very toxic. Yeah. It was a very toxic relationship. And it's like they both were feeding on each other's toxicity. And um, And plus her drinking's getting worse. And so and then she'd feel ashamed, you know, for causing problems. They'd get back together. But things were starting to cool. And Elizabeth was basically a pit stop for him. So he'd like for days, weeks, not talk to her. And then all of a sudden he'd be there. So she was tired of all talk and no action. He'd say the right words and she'd get hooked again. So let me finish um, real quick with uh, this. So um, she tells him, or he tells her that he's going on a date. And she's like, who? And he said, a woman I work with. Tell me you're kidding. Please don't do this to me. I slammed down the phone and waited for him to call back, but he didn't. I told my boss I had to leave. I rode my bike home, crying all the way and talking out loud to myself, telling myself it wasn't true. I took my bike into my apartment, threw it on the floor. I lit out a scream, you asshole. I shouted, you, and I'm sorry, but I don't say the F word. <laughs> yeah. So you made me kill Uh, my baby for you and your GD career you miserable son of a bitch Ted Bundy I hate you yeah I wow I don't so she had an abortion I guess so then I started on myself God you're stupid Liz you're a GD stupid idiot a GD ugly pig so that's sad to me What did you think he would do? Love you and cherish you? He just used you and now he's through with you. I poured myself a glass of scotch and drank it straight. It burned and tasted awful, but I deserved to be burned. I prayed the phone would ring or that maybe he'd knock on the door and put his arms around me and take the pain away. I poured another drink. I went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror at my ugly, puffed face. You've got to be, you're going to be held accountable, I told that face. I took the bottle of scotch, sat in the back closet, and drank till I passed out. When I came to, it was after midnight, my apartment was was pitch black and I didn't want any lights. As long as it was dark, I might be dreaming. There was a little scotch left in the bottle and I drank it down. Still, with the lights out, I changed into my jeans, put on a black sweater and a black parka, put a small butcher knife in my pocket and set out for Ted's place. I didn't know what I was going to do when I got there. I kept my hand on the knife in my pocket, very much afraid that I'd be attacked because at this point, there's people being murdered I looked up at Ted's windows no lights so I sat down on the porch to wait for him I got cold fast maybe this wasn't such a good idea maybe if I went back to my place Ted would be there so I crept back home no one was there and no one had been there I drank the beer in the refrigerator and passed out again first thing the next morning I threw on clothes drove over to Ted's his landlord let me in and when I knocked on Ted's door there was no answer so he must have stayed the night with that lady Um, I felt around the ledge where Ted always hid his key, let myself in. The bed was made. He hadn't come home at all. I poked around the room looking for evidence. I found it. In his garbage can was a note from a girl named Marcy. Saw you out riding your bicycle in the sun. Came by to visit, but you weren't here. You missed out. So by this time, Ted burst into the rooms. I was lying on his bed, hysterical. What are you doing here, he said, coming towards me. I sat up and started scooting backwards away from him. I didn't want him to touch me. Are you all right? I rolled off the bed and shot past him. He reached out and grabbed me, wrapped his arms around me. I was shaking with rage. I had so much to say, but I was speechless. Stay here until I get back, he told me. I nodded, but as soon as I heard him go out the front door, I ran after him. He was just getting into a sporty red car. So here she's having a mental breakdown. He leaves. Um, that must be her car. Maybe I should follow him. Go back to my room and wait for me, he shouted as he drove off. I sat on his porch steps and put my head on my knees and rocked back and forth and moaned and moaned. So then the landlady comes up and she drives home and then he, um, you know, uh, comes up to her place and they have, you know, the fights and she wouldn't talk to him. Leave me alone, blah, blah. But I wanted to read that just to give you a picture of how emotionally um, unstable she went with him. That's, I mean, she like lost it. Was she an alcoholic? They didn't say, did yeah. they? Yeah, she was definitely an alcoholic. But to allow any man to have that much control over you, I do think part of it was her young age. I've had breakdowns like that before when I was young, but um, he was her world. Yeah. It was really sad. And so just to finish, you know, he graduated from, you know, that that was the pattern right there, what I read from the book, The Phantom Prince. So he graduated from the University of Washington in 72 with honors. I didn't know that. Then he enrolled in law school at Puget Sound. In 74, he started law school at the University of Law School in Salt Lake City, putting even more strain on the relationship. But even before he left for Utah, he was already seeing Carol Ann Boone. Remember her? Yes. I do. Do so, you? Yep. So they met in 74 while both of them worked at Washington State Department of Emergency Services, and Elizabeth suspected there was someone else. Um, she said there had to be someone else. I wish wished I knew what she was like so I could be more like her. That's sad. That's very sad. Self-esteem. But that wasn't the only thing he's hiding from her. Right. He picked a good one. Yeah. She was perfect. So... Got ten minutes, we have to leave for our facial, obviously. So we'll finish um, part two when we get back. But, any thoughts?
0: Her personality jumped, didn't it? From Meek. Then she played games.
2: I thought that was interesting, too.
1: And then weak again. All self-esteem. Yeah. She would do anything to keep him. That's what was happening, you know? And they were together for a while. They were. They were not good for each other. They were not good for each other at all. But she definitely was, you know, in with the wrong person for sure. But I did too. Uh, and I admire her vulnerability for sharing this story because there's some embarrassing parts in there. And quite frankly, there are times I didn't like her. I'm like, you put your daughter in danger. You know, you're with this freak. Um, he obviously doesn't like you enough to stay with you. But again... He has all the right words to say. He hooked her in deep. Yeah. Deep. From the beginning. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you could say maybe the moral of the lesson is, I think if you come from certain backgrounds or you're a certain personality, I think every personality has to learn this, but truly loving yourself, you know, um, truly creating that mindset of acceptance and processing things, because um I think that if you don't like yourself, if you hate yourself, and if you're in blame and regret, I don't know. I think you can literally attract predators. Which she did.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I agree. Or at least be blind, mm-hmm. you know, and they can make suggestions and say things that you have a gut instinct isn't right, but because you love them, or maybe you're not as smart, or maybe, you know, whatever the... Good looking. Yeah. The reason
0: is you'll go along with it and find yourself in a mess. Well sure, yeah. I threw away the roof case and the crutches and all that stuff. And the crowbar. Everything. The anchors. Everything. I'd get mad at myself a few weeks later because I'd have to go out and buy another pair. I mean it's not comical but that's what would happen.
1: Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? The primary source for this episode is The Phantom Prince, My Life with Ted Bundy, updated and expanded edition by Elizabeth Kendall, as well as an article at CBS17.com called Triangle Journalist Recalls His Experience Interviewing Serial Killer Ted Bundy.